Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Mado, joined as always by Chris Bougay. Hey, Chris. How's it going, Rachel? Good. I'm excited to chat with you this week. Okay, so here's what's going on in my head, and I could use a little maybe coaching through it. I, I It's something that I've been struggling with uh, a lot lately, especially, well, just a lot lately. Let's put it that way. So at the beginning of a, of a school year or when you go to a conference or just in my life generally, I've been noticing how inaccessible the world is. Like once, once you've um, been made aware of it, and I, of course I've been working in the world of accessibility for many years now, but, but once you're made aware of it and you can't help but notice it, right? I mean, I remember you coming back from the uh, India Oaks presentation at ATIA, realizing just how uh, ableist the world is. These sort of assumptions people make about the abilities that the of the audience you're going to be speaking to, or whatever. And I've just been seeing that example. Well, I've been seeing it for seeing it for years, but it continues to plague me and bother me that it's not fixed yet <laughs> or that the the that no more people aren't aware of it. And so let me just give you like a couple scenarios, right? Like I'll go to a professional learning event someplace and I'll be in the audience and part of the experience will be to ha- will be like all right everybody turn and have a group discussion. Okay. We turn and have a group discussion. And then to to bring people back together, people will do this. Now, I'm intentionally doing this on purpose because this is an audio podcast, so people don't really know what I'm doing. Only you can see what I'm doing. But this is what maybe the person trying to grab everyone's attention will do. They'll do the thing that I'm doing right now, Rachel. And as I'm sitting there seeing this, I'm thinking, okay, what you're doing is trying to signal. I'm clearly doing something, right, Rachel? Like, like, you're really like leading up to this. It's it's really fun. Yeah, I'm doing something, but everyone listening right now doesn't know what I'm doing, and that sort of simulates like having a visual impairment. Like you, so as the person in front of the group, I wouldn't signal them by what I was doing was raising my hand. I might raise my hand, but I might also call out something like um, Taco Bell. I knew, I knew you were going to go with that one. I knew it. I knew Taco Bell was coming. Or set a timer on my phone and have that ding so that there's a multimodal um, way of get, of conveying the information, right? Um, same thing that I see with text is that oftentimes I'll go to a presentation and someone will hand out, here we are in 2022 but they'll, or 23 or somewhere, like wherever you're listening to this, um, they'll hand out a piece of paper I'm like, how many people would have trouble reading this paper? Like, you can't hit a play button to have the text read out loud. You can't have it translated easily. Now, with technology, you can do that more easily now because there is some more accessibility features built into phones that will allow you to do some of these things. But really, shouldn't we be providing the text in a way that someone who needed a screen reader could have it? So if someone needed it translated, they could have it. And I just keep seeing examples over and over again where, where the ableism is just embedded in. And I'm I guess why I wanted to bring it to you, why I say I needed some coaching, is that it's starting, I mean, it has always frustrated me, but it's really getting to me because I just want to go up to the um, the presenter and be like, 
you could do this differently, you know, like, <laughs> but I also don't want to be that guy, that, that guy that comes up and say, you know, you can do this differently. Um, and I feel like parents feel that way. Sometimes they want to go tell, like, you can do this differently for my kid. And they always don't, they don't want to be that parent. You know, I feel like I don't want to be that obnoxious guy. That's like, you know, we don't need this piece of paper. You could give us a QR code and we could all have it on our phones that way. And then we could all listen to it if we wanted to like, like, so I struggle. I'm struggling with how to um, approach people when uh, I notice something inaccessible. I'm, um, I'm not, and, and I'm. I always worry about myself. Like uh, the, the like, maybe I'm not being as accessible as I could be. You know. So I don't know. Help me, Rachel. Help me. <laughs> First of all, I can relate to everything you're talking about, and I think it's really actually. I mean, it's a good conversation to have. It's a good thing to be thinking about. And it's also like kind of challenging um, to actually do with true fidelity, especially during like a speaking event. Chris, I'm thinking about our Montana speaking event uh, where we had someone in the audience with who was blind, correct? Was it blind? Yes. Um, and so I even noticed myself like having a really hard time just making sure that I wasn't relying on the visuals, right? I'd say like I was assuming everyone was looking at the screen in front of us. Like, and so we weren't describing what was on the screen. We weren't talking about it, you know, and so it is really challenging, but I think it's a really good thing to start thinking about, um, and, you know, obviously we're in the space of making things accessible. We work with individuals with disabilities and, you know, that's kind of our jam, right? It's like, how can we utilize technology to make things more accessible? Um, you know, regarding how do you have the conversation? I mean, I think that, I think that it's really hard to approach someone and be like, you should do this differently. But the coach in me is like, what question could you ask? that elicits the same aha moment. Mm -hmm. This, well, of course, I was thinking this, first of all, let me just comment on your first thoughts there. And that is, I feel like uh, having done presentations like this, I have switched some of my skills or some of my um, skills in the right word, um, my tactics when I'm doing presentations. So you've probably heard people say, you don't need to read off the slides but I actually read off the slides because, um, not, and do it in a way where it's not like I am reading off the slide. It's not reading that way. I'm just describing what's on the slides and reading the text out because I can't make the assumption that everybody can see it. Although we do provide a digital version of our slides. So someone with a screen reader that has all alt text. So someone with a screen reader could, could participate in that way. They could be using that technology. So again, multimodal, uh, uh, a multimodal experience and this is the thing I feel like I and you and many of the people that we work with that work in this space and do presentations are actively trying to get better at that like maybe we like in Montana we did we had an we had a a portion of the experience was like use these visuals to construct sentences and it was like oh yeah how hmm. so but we recognize that and are trying to make it better for next time where I feel like most of the world doesn't know, doesn't care, you know, like they're not really trying to get better at that. So, okay, that brings us to the second part, which is what could I say to say, to, to kind of help educate somebody? And the way I'd want to do that is go up and go, um, you know, 
it's hard because I don't have a disability that's affecting my eyes or my ears. Uh, I mean, I wear glasses sometimes, but you know what I mean? Like I can see it and I can hear it. So it's hard to be like, hey, what do you think would happen if someone came in and was blind, you know? And how do I just bring that that up, you know? Well, what do you think would happen if uh, you had someone who didn't speak English in here and you gave out this piece of paper? Like, why would I bring that up? Because I've had those, are the, those sorts of questions I'd want to, are exactly the sort of questions I want to ask because um, it seems so forced, you know? <laughs> like, I don't need it in Swedish, you know? <laughs> but someone might. <laughs> someone might, yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think Chris, like I hear you, it, it, if I was blind, I could go up and say, Hey, guess what? Like you left me out of that presentation. Right. And it would be like, Oh wow. I'm so sorry. Right. Um, but I think that knowing what I, I think introducing yourself as, you know, someone who does this work and is passionate about this work and something that you noticed, um, and maybe it's just like, can I give you some feedback that could make your presentation more accessible? Could I give you some feedback on how whatever fill in the blank could be more accessible? So introducing yourself saying like, here, Hey, it was great. You know, giving some positive feedback, right? Every time you, you, you want to say something that might feel like criticism, always like buffering that with like, it was an amazing presentation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just like asking, can I give you some feedback on how this could be more accessible to all people, you know, regardless of, you know, their abilities, um, so yeah, I mean, what do you think about something like that? Yeah, I think that could work into the right circumstances, and um, maybe if I already have a relationship with the person, that could that, that would certainly help, you know, because they'd know I'm coming from a place of uh, of trying to help rather than be uh, critical of it. Um, and again, maybe it's reasonable that uh, in some of these situations, like everybody could see someone raising their hand to get attention. So I don't necessarily need to uh, make it such a big deal, you know, but I just think you don't know who's going to be here. So, you know, and you're doing I'm sure this is your your strategy that you do for every presentation you do. So someday you're going to come across somebody and you're going to uh, would be better just to, to, to plan ahead. Um, so, but that is great. That is great. I, I feel like I can come in with a, what's it called? Like a, a compliment sandwich or something like that, or give them a compliment. Then, um, then say, cause there one, can I give you one thing that I've learned doing presentations that might make it more accessible for you get even a wider audience and then give them another compliment at the end. One other thing I think is really helpful is sharing with people about how you used to do it wrong, right? Like we all like had moments where you're like, wow, I didn't put captions on that video. Like, whoops, <laughs> you know? And so it's just like, ugh, like this is something that like I was so grateful that someone told me and something that I'm so grateful for, you know, someone pointing out to me. Um, I thought I'd just kind of like pass it on to you if you're open. Um, something like that. Cause it's just like, okay, like this person used to do what I do and that always levels the playing field. It makes people feel like a lot more at ease. That is a great reminder because nobody screws up like I screw up. I have a whole bunch of screw ups in my totally, Chris. Also, no, totally. I'm saying that for myself, for our dear listeners who think I'm roasting Chris right now. Oh, that's funny, but yes, it's true. I have made so many mistakes of doing this exact sort of stuff, and 
continuing to make the mistakes. I mean, clearly, Montana was a great example where we thought, I mean, I had thought we thought that through, and then there was one like, oh, wait, this activity is not exactly as accessible as it could be, uh, and so you do better next time. And so coming up and saying, hey, you know what, can I tell you a mistake that I used to make a lot, and this might really help you help even more people, which is usually why someone's presenting in the first place, um, is probably going to be met with... um, with, uh, oh yeah, thank you so much, right? Like most people aren't realizing I'm not coming there to tear them down or criticize or say, you're doing this wrong. It's all from a place of let's make the world more accessible. Yeah. And, you know, it's been really great to see some of these things happening on a bigger scale. So like, for example, Instagram, you never were able to do the captioning before. And that was really challenging with their video content. Um, Now that you can do automatic captioning. Um, So that's an example of how things are shifting. But I still see people in the space where they work with people with disabilities, not using captioning on their video, you know? So it's just like, and I think it's just when you know better, you do better. And sometimes it takes someone pointing something out to you to do better. Um, and I think that we just need to be open to that. And we also need to be brave enough to kind of advocate for that. Um, even if it feels a little uncomfortable, like even if Chris, you walked up to someone and was like, Hey, have you ever worked with someone with a vision impairment? Um, and they were like, you know, don't care what you have to say, or like, you know, got defensive in the moment. Like at least we're making them think, wow, like maybe I should think about these things a little bit more. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, even if it was a poor interaction, it's like, okay, well, you're not going to see that person again, but hopefully you made an impact on the way they think about accessibility. Mm-hmm. You know what this conversation is reminding me of? This conversation is reminding me of the time where I, I also struggled, where I saw an AAC user at the um, uh, at a show, right? At, a, at my daughter's play, I think, right? And I... Um, wasn't sure what the right move was at the time. And I asked for some feedback and a parent actually wrote us back and said, um, well, Chris, I think you made the right move and here's why. And that parent was, you know who it is? Joanna? It's Joanna Holmes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Joanna. This, what a segue. You are like the master of transitions, Chris. (laughs) Awesome. So yes, Joanna wrote, uh, or I think was sent me a video saying, you know, Chris, I think you made the right choice, and I'm glad you didn't go up and and say something to this family um, and gave me her rationale why. And so let's hear more. Joanna is filled with wisdom. Let's hear more of our conversation with Joanna Holmes. We'd like to thank all of the wonderful Patreon supporters who make this show possible. This podcast is funded by listeners just like you who've signed up at patreon.com backslash talking with tech to show their support. Because of the generosity of our amazing Patreon community, we're able to pay Luke and Michaela, our podcast producer and audio engineer, who keep the show looking and sounding great. Patreon supporters also receive bonus content, such as early access to interviews, behind the scenes recordings, additional curated resources and materials, and so much more. Check it out at patreon.com backslash talking with tech. You mentioned how Lucy knew some words already. So now it's just really, it sounded like, okay, you, since you know these words and you know these symbols, it's just, this is where the new place is for those same words yeah. you already know. Um, yeah. How, what would you, what, what were the factors in Lucy learning those 
those words? What do you think were the uh, the things that really worked for her so that, that that's how she learned them? Um, consistent modeling and aided language stimulation is <laughs> what how to learn them. Seeing them over and over and over and over again. Because the words that she's learned and the words I'm confident she knows and uses effectively are the ones that were on that first nine cell core printed cardboard that we started out with when she was like one or two and mm-hmm. um, so it's been a it's a lot of exposure she does you know she takes a long time to learn things um and I think that's been one of the big challenges it's been able to kind of stick to it and go okay I know this is going to take a long time I know it's going to be worth it I know it seems like all those other symbols and all those other menus well do we really need them but actually in time she will build and she might not use them all, but if they're not there, then we can't. And, and really keeping the, uh, keeping a view on the long game, I think yeah. is tough. It's really tough, especially on days. Like I, I mentioned to Chris earlier, today has been a really hard kind of at home all day kind of day. I think she's had tummy ache and she's just been a bit cranky. And so I've been a bit cranky. And, and I think it's days like this where you just think, Oh, well, I know, I know she's in pain and I'm going to have to sort it out one way or another. And uh, yeah, it's days like this that it's hard. Like having a nice play with bubbles, then, then it goes well, doesn't it? And you, but yeah, days like this can be hard. <laughs> bubbles is good therapy for everybody. <laughs> oh yeah, I love bubbles. <laughs> and it's such a, yeah, she just, yeah, she loves bubbles too. It's a really good motivator. Bubbles and books. <laughs> Awesome. We love to hear literacy, <laughs> literacy things. Um, Joe, you had mentioned that, you know, it's really important to remember the long game. And I feel like that's a point worth emphasizing because yeah. so often it's easy to kind of come up with these like short term, like band-aid solutions for the problems that you're experiencing when you're starting to implement an AAC system and trying to teach it. But like, if we're not thinking long-term, we're really setting uh, students up, um, you know, and really doing a disservice because mm-hmm. like, we have to be thinking long-term and as you mentioned, it's sometimes challenging because you have to kind of push through. You have to have this blind faith that like it will work eventually. Like aided language is evidence-based. We know that's how kids learn language, but it doesn't mean that as soon as we start doing it, we're going to start like have this magical moment, you know, where like, aha, like we, we modeled it a few times and now it's being used. Uh, Now, sometimes that does happen. Right. And it's really exciting when that happens, but oftentimes it's just like a lot of repetitive exposure and that takes time. It's a long game. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I see whenever AAC comes up in like general media, um, there's kind of a narrative about, um, some this child got a device and suddenly they can communicate with their family and i'm like yes it's like the dateline special that's like they were locked in and now the technology unlocked it all you know it's like well we have to teach the language right like yes the technology can unlock that access but like we still have individuals who need to be taught language and how to use it and how, when we change things, it changes the meaning and, you know, all of those things. So I think you're exactly right. There's like this narrative of like, they were locked in technology comes they're they're, they're out, right. They're, they're not locked in anymore. And it's just like, that's not the way it goes. It's kind of convenient for people, isn't it? To go, okay, well, there there are solutions for people who struggle to talk and I'm okay. Like that's, that's great. That's, 
that's that part of life sorted. But it, it, I think stammering is very similar. Often the things on the TV about, oh, suddenly somebody was really, really fluent and they went from stammering loads to being really fluent. And as a fluency therapist, I'd be like, oh, but really what I want to hear is people stammering loads and saying their truth and being out there and stammering. Um, totally. And I also want to pe- see people out there learning to use ASE and using it and being listened to and being allowed to make mistakes <laughs> on it and <laughs> all that stuff. And I think, yeah, I think we're still in it. The, the world still has this expectation of people with disabilities to kind of come forward and conform and, and use whatever you can. But the reason you're going to do that is to be more like, more, more like us. <laughs> and yeah. it's really problematic. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Joe, let, let's turn this conversation on its ear a little bit, because um, one of the reasons we got together is that you had some questions. You were reflecting on some of the podcast episodes yeah. and you and and we thought, you know what, maybe this is uh, rather than just the three of us having a conversation. This is something other people might benefit from or hear. So what were some of those reflections um, uh, of, of the podcast? Um. Okay, so the, the the I sent you a video, didn't I? That was about um, uh, the open AAC movement. Is that one of the things? We're yes. Thinking, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I <laughs> I put a video on my Instagram feed that when we were in the process of making decisions about Lucy's AAC, um, I was just feeling really conflicted because I think I was was gearing towards cough drop, and that was partly because of sort of clinical reasoning reasons, but also I had this kind of feeling of this open AAC movement feels like a good way to go. And that because it's about the technology, but it's all about also about being open about information and open with sharing skills and knowledge. Um, and as a parent who sat in a space where you're not getting the support from the professionals who who intended to be providing it I can see that the more we can put things out that are accessible and available is really important um, and the video that I'd sent I was kind of conflicted though because um, these the companies who um, who've been around for a really long time have invested so much time and energy and research into looking at at what does work in ASE and developing symbol sets and developing technology and um I, I had a look back over the video that day and I was talking about the Liberator um to PRC I think um uh I've been around for about 30 years this year and I was thinking 30 years ago I was in senior school and we had one like shared computer room for a school of 700 um that is a short it's a very short amount of time since I was at senior school I'd like to emphasize um, but at that point, these companies were kind of starting out and building those systems. And I, I have friends now who are ASC users who are using those systems that were developed 30, 40 years ago. Um, and so there was a bit of me thinking, yeah, but uh, the other options kind of Smartbox or Liberator, well, they're putting a lot of the work. And, but we're in, I just feel like we're in quite a different environment. And I just felt really conflicted. And I thought it would be interesting to talk to people about it, which is why I put it out there and sent it to Chris and said, I think a podcast on this will be good. 
Well, okay. So let's talk about the AAC, the open AAC movement, just for yeah. a second. Um, interestingly enough, we have an episode about this. Uh, it's many years ago. And the person we interviewed okay. is Brian Whitmer. And Brian Whitmer is the person who developed Cough Drop, just yeah. to bring it all full yeah, circle. Full circle. <laughs> Um, but the the notion of someone is is confused about well what is, what is this open AAC is essentially uh, the open movement is the idea that certain materials and resources and in fact research often falls in this category should be available to the public for free um, and free of any licensing restrictions as well so that someone could take a symbol set and remix it, uh, reuse it, remix it, um, so that it's, uh, uh, so that it works for them again, without necessarily having to, to give credit to anybody else. I mean, there's, there's different layers there, but in general, it's open. You can just use it, yes. go ahead and use it. But mm -hmm. then the, then the flip side, again, just to summarize, is that if that were to take off and that were to really become the way AAC works, then what happens to all of the people that are developing these um, and have been working for years to develop and continue to try and yeah. uh, make it better? Um, and, and again, we, we know we have evidence that a lot of these systems really work well for a lot of people because so many people have spent so many their their lives you know trying to um to perfect them so it's a great interesting uh theoretical and and really practical question <laughs> so rachel what's the answer um thanks chris for putting me on the spot here um well you know in my own clinical opinion i feel like there's, we're always trying to strive for like one answer, right? Like, oh, like we should do all or nothing. There's like these black or white situations. And I feel like it always lands somewhere in the gray, right? Like, you know, I, I absolutely think that there are, you know, AAC companies spend a lot of time, energy, money trying to figure out, you know, how to set up these systems with success. Um, and I think a lot of times, you know, there's definitely things that I, you know, appreciate um, about that type of an approach, um, especially if they're incorporating AAC users and their thoughts and opinions into the mix, which I feel like a lot of the companies now are starting to do that. Um, but my own clinical opinion too, is that like, sometimes I'll open things up and I'll be like, why, who decided on this? Like, this does not make sense. This does not feel, you know, intuitive. Um, you know, an example is like, oftentimes, um, you know, there's some like page sets, Joanna, like you're talking about. And I'm thinking like, you know, I am very practiced at working with an emergent communicator in, you know, establishing you know, core language and phrase-based social language and all these things. And like, you know, after years and years of clinical practice, it's like, you know, I, I sometimes look at these page sets. I'm like, why are we, why this word, <laughs> you know, this doesn't make sense, you know? And so it's just like, it's interesting. So I think that, you know, the answer is it's somewhere in the middle, um, you know, trying to maintain the integrity of a system makes a lot of sense to me, especially if, you know, that system is being used by lots of paraprofessionals and educators and everyone has some familiarity and then mm -hmm. they have the same system, but it's completely changed and customized, um, you know, but I also think that we have to individualize a lot of AAC systems for specific, you know, users. And I also would say the more complex, um, you know, the case and the child, the more probably customizing you have to do. Um, so 
that's my long-winded answer of like, there's no really good solution, but I think that, you know, it's a mix of trying to maintain integrity of systems that were set up with a specific purpose and in a specific way, but also realizing that there's limitations in all of the AAC systems, yeah. like lots and lots of limitations, you know? Mm-hmm. What I might uh, reflect on that is that um, if you were to talk to Rachel and I, and if you listen to the podcast at all, you know that we're advocates for uh, starting out with robust language systems. There's no prerequisites for high-tech AAC. Um, and you've used the word many times now, Joe, you said privilege. I feel like I've, uh, I have uh, I have a certain uh, experience and, and I'm privileged to be a speech therapist uh, having a background in speech therapy, right? Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and um and that gives me, that affords me some knowledge here that other parents might not have. And I feel like these two things, open AAC and I guess closed AAC that that you buy are not necessarily opposed to each other. And that um, there's, uh, um, uh, Rachel has had the great, again, privilege to, to, to go to different countries where uh, you've told the story on the podcast or it's like, well, I'm going to come in with this mindset of high tech AAC for everybody. And then you, immediately when you, when the plane landed and you brought out the iPads, it's like, well, there's no place to charge this. Uh, and how are we going to get updates? And there's no Wi-Fi. And so um, the, the point is there's such a huge need for increase in AAC awareness and, um, uh, across the globe, uh, that it there's room for it all. There's there there one's never gonna trump the other and take take place of it. There all there's gonna be a place for all of it. So that the maybe the open AAC is your catalyst into something later on. Um, in the same way that you're telling the story about your 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 evolution of AAC over the years with Lucy, maybe mm-hmm. a, maybe for some people because it will. Uh, especially if there's barriers in place the way you said the, the there is in certain funding schemes and i'm certainly we face that in our neck of the woods too there's there's plenty of uh therapists that um will be like yeah i have to try and convince my administrator to do it this certain way right so um all that to say there's barriers there's so many barriers to those those high-tech robust aacs less than there ever was before but those barriers still <laughs> exist that the open aac movement might be a catalyst to get there uh and it just makes it much more available to so many mm. more people who otherwise wouldn't have anything one of the things that um i thought a lot about when i was thinking about open aac um and that i learned a lot about i learned from the podcast with Brian Whitmer was about the open board format. Um, And I found that really interesting because what that would allow for if, if, if all, if everybody was, was using that would be that ability to swap and change through things. So actually it turns out, you know, we might need eye gaze and actually the best advice for that is like a, a grid pad with a, with an eye gaze camera but we've just spent all this time practicing um, how to use EasyChat on a Liberator device. I'm taking cough drop out of this completely. Um, so do we, we now need to learn a completely new vocabulary because actually the hardware that we need is this particular piece of hardware. And I think that's where I, I really thought, yes, having boards that, that can transport and having some way of doing that, even if it's, I don't know, like when you 
buy out your secondhand car that you're like, okay, we finished with your device. We need a different device, but can we pay a nominal fee to be able to transport the vocabulary because that needs to remain consistent. It's those kinds of things. Cause that's, that's where I was a bit stuck with Lucy. We looked at um, easy chat on a um, accent, um, but that would need an extra external camera. Um, and it, only runs on an accent, so we couldn't run it on a iPad. And then we got into all the stuff about what weight we could mount and whether you need an external camera or not. But actually, the I, I thought Easy Chat was a really great vocabulary package for Lucy. Of the ones that I saw that were already done, that was kind of the best one. Mm-hmm. But in terms of matching it to hardware that was affordable, because like the difference between what we've got and what that would have been was like about four thousand pound difference. Yeah, that's a lot so of money. <laughs> it's a huge amount of money. Um, so that idea that maybe the open AAC maybe gives us would in the future give us more opportunity to mix and match. Actually, you've got this really great camera. You've got this really great device, and the person I'm working with, I've worked with a lot of people like this might just throw it across the room, but that device is going to bounce, but ooh, we don't really want easy chat. We'd rather have Supercar 30. Can we... And surely everybody wins if there's that interchangeability. And that's part of the reason we've gone with Cots Drop. I'm hoping if we move and we need a different kind of device in the future, well, that, it will work on different devices. Um, it, it's that being able to keep the parts that you need because I really felt like oh well, we have to like throw out one bit if another bit doesn't work so it got really tricky particularly when companies are holding their software onto particular devices mm-hmm. that's that felt real that felt really uncomfortable but it all felt uncomfortable to say well I'm going with somebody else because gosh liberator of them so much yeah yeah for sure well this I mean strange time <laughs> It makes a lot of sense to me um, that that would it might be financially beneficial for a company to have that as an option because it, mm-hmm. when it's all or nothing, then sometimes it's nothing. But when it's yeah. uh, when it can be sometimes or some part of it, and I'm licensing, well, then maybe I can, especially in today's day and age. Again, some of the funding schemes that we are talking about and some of the the way companies have set up their finances is based on an old one-time purchase sort of model, right? Where we've seen now in 2022, uh, so many more subscription-based models, right? And we've seen, we've certainly started to see some AAC companies move in that direction where they said, oh, what if we didn't just, you buy our app one time? What if it was, you subscribe to our thing? And with that sort of um, mentality, then maybe there is some like, well, with this subscription, you get access to uh, an open, uh, the potential of opening up a board. Um, I could see that being as financially viable and attractive to companies because rather than saying, well, I guess, I guess you're going to go with the the competitor. Maybe I'll take, maybe you can go with part of my product, um, and doesn't it seem, again, this is going to be really the, the developers that listen to this show are going to be like, Chris, what are you talking about? But it seems like it's a technical thing. Like once we decide that we want to do that, now yeah. we just have to figure out the code. Right. When, and certainly there's going to be people, people that are excited about that challenge. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, how do I open up a code to bring over this onto this device that feels solvable as long as we want 
as long as we want it, you know, as the company decides mm-hmm. this is worth our time to do, we're going to, we see the, fu- the future market investment here. It would just really allow people to really build, to have less compromises in their systems, wouldn't it? Because there's, there's already compromises, isn't there? Like how many cells you're going to have, how much you can fit on a page, where you're going to mount it, what's the battery life like? But mm-hmm. the, the less compromises that people are going to need to make, surely the, the better their, I'm going to say systems, but I mean like the actual technology part of their system, <laughs> the better that's going to be if the if there are compromises available, whereas there, there isn't always at the minute. Um, and it's, it's the information as well. It's the sharing of information that I think is really key. And, and so that parents can get good information. And then if they need to advocate, they can say, well, this is what I've learned and this is where I've got it from. And I know it's good information because it's, it's out there and shared. There's quite a lot of that, but um, I think there are some, some groups and some, some things that are still sort of kind of hold their information behind a bit of a paywall. <laughs> well, and they've, they've had the luxury to do that because it's mm. it really, it's still sort of a new 30 years in the scheme of how long something might be in like different uh, professions or uh, different uh, companies. 30 years is really not that long, not right? Long, so, um, but if you look to the last, how things have changed over the last 10 years and the number of people that have started to talk about and learn about and use AAC, where, what does the next 10, 30 years hold? Um, making moves in that direction and being forward thinking about the life of your company before some competitor comes along and does it faster, cheaper, has more options. Um, yeah. Really thinking about that evolution, again, makes a lot of sense to me, but I work mm-hmm. in a public school every day, so. any other thoughts Uh, any other questions or thoughts before we wrap up our conversation I don't think I have (laughs) I feel like I I had a lot of thoughts today yeah I didn't know if you had any other questions Joe because I know you had wanted to talk about the open source stuff I mean it was just I, I really just wanted conversations with people about it what i would love is to have conversations with developers um mm-hmm. i kind of i tagged them all in my post on instagram i was like have a chat with me um and uh, i am going to have a chat with the toby dynabox rep at communication matters in september he was like come and have a chat with me i was like okay i will <laughs> um but i think it, it, it's kind of it feels like it a point where maybe everybody needs to start having that conversation rather than be like oh well, we're all right We've mm-hmm. got our products, we've got our customers, we're all right, Jack. Um, but actually, maybe it, it's, it, there's a time we need to start having that conversation and look at, at how that makes things better and more accessible for everybody, particularly when services, that traditional model of you go to a service, they find you some funding, you get your device. It's just mm-hmm. not there. So. Yeah, which is a huge roadblock, especially yeah. hearing what's going on over there in the UK. Um, I will say there is there is work going on around that. So NHS England um, are doing a, a project. I'm on the advisory um, committee for a project looking at um, what a pathway might look like that doesn't exclude people with learning disabilities in that way and doesn't have that same kind of um, ability criteria. Um, so there is work in, there's work happening. <laughs> 
Joe, th- there's one other thing I'd like to comment on. It's more of a, an I wonder phrase. And that is um, something we've, I've certainly learned over the years of doing this podcast and talking to AAC users is that uh, something they say is they use multiple tools and at different times they might use uh, uh, a tool or they might use their their voice like some people who are speaking might say today's like a words day or this hours or a time when my words won't come so i need my tool and i wonder if that analogy holds true for access methodology so you had mentioned how lucy is like well, okay we're going to try a head pointing but of course as soon as we try that she's reaching forward and she's trying to touch the iPad. And it's like, well, I wonder if that is similar. Like, and again, yes. AAC users listening to this, if you're like, well, yeah, sometimes I use my hand and sometimes I use switches and sometimes I use eye gaze and, or, you know, I primarily use one, but sometimes I use others. And I'm just curious if that, if you think that is a thing, like, like, yeah, sometimes I'm going to point, but gosh, I just, my limbs are so tired today and I'm worn <laughs> out. So I'm going to use my head or this vice versa, you know, whatever the, uh, the, the rationale or reasoning or the, the, the sensory needs are met another way. So I don't feel like I need to scratch. So I'm going to use yeah. my hands today. Like, I wonder if there's some sort of, um, again, and again, I go to the strategy, what strategy can help you, Lucy, learn what modalities right for you in the moment. You know what I mean? So yeah. rather than just a gut intuition feeling. So I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's really interesting. And I, I mentioned to her therapist this morning, I sent her a picture and I said, like, got the device mounted um it's quite close to her she touched it straight away <laughs> and jenny a therapist was like well it's great to have two access methods um but I, I do you made a comment about kind of um sensory needs and things i think for lucy that is quite a big a big thing because i think when she was reaching this morning and was like nah i gave her something else to do with her well actually <laughs> this morning because you know we've had a cranky day this morning the thing that she got was another <laughs> ipad <laughs> Like just have all, yeah. just have all the screens. I don't care. <laughs> it's fine. Um, whatever works this morning. But that that's clearly what she was interested in doing. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily that she wanted. She was trying to access the AAC part of the iPad. It's that she wanted to have that visual, probably simulation of seeing things move quickly and a bit of feedback, which she then got from from something else. Um, Having said that, she does have alternatives. Like, so she's got paper-based things. She's she did have symbols all over her tray, but she ripped them off at the weekend. So I need to put those back. Um, <laughs> but she they're kind of spaced out, so she uses direct access to to touch those. Um, she's also brilliant at using facial expressions to like you know, and she'll she'll kind of reference things with her eyes. So look at one thing, and like often it's like look at the telly, look at you. At the telly look at you like gonna switch it <laughs> off. um so she does use lots of modalities and i can almost imagine that maybe as her motor skills do develop that maybe she will go back to using touch if that becomes um easier for her but i just felt at the minute waiting for touch to develop was holding back holding her back mm-hmm. from developing the language and so for at the minute, that's where we're at. I can totally see it changing in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I love that you're thinking that way. I mean, that uh, that's holding her back. So, what can we do to make it easier? Let's let's mm-hmm. look at a different access methodology. And it doesn't mean it has to be necessarily one. Um, 
So it sounds like you're in good hands and that, uh, and, and that you are um, yeah, again so. designing with the end in mind, thinking that, that, that you're trying to remove barriers. It, it sounds exciting for Lucy. Yeah. It's, it's exciting for me. I think she's, she's excited if she's got like good company and something to talk about. <laughs> That's what gets her excited. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for being on the podcast, Rachel. Thank any final, you. final things to say? No, Joanna, I feel like um, before we kind of wrap up, where can people follow your work? I feel like we've connected over social media and I don't want to leave everyone hanging. Like, how can people <laughs> follow you? Okay, so I am on, um, I mostly now use Instagram and it's at mummy versus AAC. So that's mummy vs AAC. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a blog at mummy versus AAC.blog. Um, and I'm, I'm at Mummy versus AAC on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, I did a presentation for AAC in the cloud with um, Hannah Foley and Sarah Gregory. Um, so that's available on AAC in the cloud. And I am presenting at the Communication Matters Conference in the UK in September. Um, so there are chances to, you know, hear me rabbit on a little bit more if you want to. Um, so that's where, yeah, that's where you can find me. Amazing. Well, we'll definitely link to those in the show notes so people can have easy access. Cool. Great. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Joe. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye.